Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about UFC Vegas 62 going down this weekend at the UFC Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada, headlined by a woman's flyweight bout between Alexa Grasso and Viviani Araujo. And um, it's it's a card. I think it's pretty good, actually. It's, it's, it's uh, not bad. No, it lacks it lacks um, a main event. Yeah, it lacks a main event, and it lacks any stakes. But that's okay. I was talking to to somebody about this the other day. They they asked me like why they were like why is why why have the cards been feeling more and more like filler lately? And and you know su- supposition on my part, but more and more it seems pretty obvious these last couple of years the UFC is really starting to actually delineate its product and pay-per-views are where big fights happen yeah where ranked fighters face off yeah where actual stakes come into play and fight night cards you get like one main event maybe another one down there if it's like a flyweight ranked flyweights or ranked women's bantam weights in some weight class where almost everybody is ranked. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, you know, they are, deli- they, they have realized that the pay-per-view is the important part of the product in terms of what ESPN wants to see returns from Yeah, the fight night cards just need to exist. And it's fine. Like I'm not even going to say they're wrong. Like I've, I yeah, legitimately no. paid for more pay-per-views this year than I have previous, the previous several because yeah. like, you know, the, the the part you pay for is stacked these days. Um, yeah, absolutely stacked. It's like two title fights has become the norm. Well, the every I think every pay per view card. I think they're under obligation to ESPN that every pay per view has to have one. Yeah. So if you have to have one, then you better have two. But the days of non pay per view title fights are gone. Yeah. I mean, like, are... unless they ever do another like ABC card or something they're not going to have title fight on a non-pay-per-view yeah even then they would probably just put on you know like yeah apollo costa fight or something something right. else with somebody notable and a sean o'malley fight or something you know wasn't that costa vittori wasn't that an abc card uh it might have been i don't remember at this point but yeah uh, that feels right I'll, yeah, I'll i was just thinking that's funny you hit right in the nail on the head they did yeah. go for i'm pretty sure they did go for apollo costa yeah yeah, so it, you know, and it's kind of unfair, honestly, to Grasso and Araujo to to level the critique that this doesn't feel like a main event. Like, on the, it's yeah. not their fault. No, and it, it's the division that they're in. Yeah. That it's just not that interesting to see the process of, of contender sorting playing out in a division with such a gap between the champion and the contenders. Yeah. I, um, I, and I'd I, still rather have this than, like, 95% of the heavyweight fight night main event. Oh, God, yeah. And the light heavy. This is a better main event than... Um, then Tiago Santos versus Jamal Hill. Oh God, yeah, right, yeah. It'd probably be a good fight too. Yeah, and I, you know, like the same with Dern Yan. I didn't love the fight, or you know, the way it, it was. It wasn't an unentertaining fight. It just ended up looking 
it, it ends up looking a bit sloppy because uh, yeah. Dern still can't strike. Um, but if you're going to turn these people into title challengers, if you're going to you know, if you're going to have flyweight title challengers, if you're going to have women's flyweight title challengers, if you're going to have, you know, whatever, if you're going to try to make fighters into contenders that people want to see, mm -hmm. they have to be headlining some cards. 100%. So. And the other it, option here is um, Askarov Royval, which also would have made a great main event if there wasn't a logjam at the top of that division right now. Yeah. Yeah. So. And again, that's not the fault of the two fighters, and, and no. both that and the actual main event here, I think, are very good, well-made matchups. Yeah. So I'm I'm honestly okay with this card. It's it's got like six, seven fights that I'm pretty interested in. Yeah, there there's a surprising amount to care about here, even with the low stakes. And yeah. uh, let's let's dive in then at that point and talk about the uh, women's flyweight main event here: Alexa Grasso, Viviani Araujo. Yeah, I'm glad to hear, by the way, that you've settled on Araujo because I have spent every time I've had to mention her name or we talked about uh, Igor Araujo yeah. on the last Depressed Us. And I've been really trying to do what I usually do, which is like try to approximate the correct pronunciation. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's like Araujo. Araujo, yeah, probably. It's too hard. So I, I've also decided I'm also just going to say Araujo. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I think what, what I'm going to start doing with uh, Portuguese, because I uh -huh. hate hate it with a passion, uh -huh. is I'm just going to say that I'm actually just fluent in a regional dialect. And, you know. That's good. Yeah. yeah. You know. This is actually how we talk in Corachoba. Yeah. <laughs> is that how it's pronounced? In Korachoba, it is. It, it is. Uh, yeah, no, that's <laughs> that's how it's pronounced. That's, yeah. you know, Raphael Asuncao. That's how yeah. we pronounce it in Karatoba. Maybe not in Rio de Janeiro or, or wherever you, you big city folks live. That's yeah. My yeah. neck of the woods. That's right. That's, that's how we talk. My neck of the Amazon. That's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, like I said, a good, well-made fight. Yep. Um, I think there are really live chances for both fighters here. Yeah. So far, I've been very impressed with Alexa Grasso as a flyweight. <laughs> um, she looks like a... Phil, uh, Phil compared her to, like, you know, like Nathaniel Wood. Uh, a fighter uh -huh. who seems like she should be able to make the lower weight class. Yeah. For whatever reason, that, she, that, weight, that cut was too hard for her. Uh -huh. People are built differently. You know, maybe she's... More muscular than other women, maybe. Yeah, who knows? There's a million reasons why, but some bodies can cut weight better than others. Yeah, I still, I, I still think that the uh, the vast majority of MMA bro science is probably still not really that perfectly designed for women's weight cuts. No, that's a very good point. Yeah, you know, like yeah, women all these fighters water, hanging out completely yeah. differently. Body composition is very different. That's a very yeah. good point. So. It's also, we're, we're, we're still waiting for the, the discovery that um, uh, jiu-jitsu is going to somehow become even less common in women's MMA because everyone's too flexible to be submitted. <laughs> That's another difference we really do see in fights. Women are just more flexible than men on average. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've seen way too many women get their arms bent backwards and not even have to go to the hospital in <laughs> MMA fights. Um can't even straighten my arm without going to the hospital. I, I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, uh, I've been really impressed with Grasso so far. She's uh, it's not all been easy fights, but I thought that Macy Barber fight there were some causes for concern, mm-hmm. like she gassed. Quite yeah, times. but what got her to the point of gassing was really competently winning two rounds, much of which happened in the clinch. Yeah, uh, with not only just a natural flyweight, but like a particularly big and physically strong one. Yeah, I Macy think Barber is a, is a hoss. And it's um, probably the tax the, the taxation of keeping yeah. up with her physically inside is what yeah. tired Grasso out. Yeah, but given the amount of clinching in that fight with and, and and to me, Barber is like she's in the Andrade Shevchenko tier of just actual physical strength in this mm-hmm. division. I still thought Grasso looked really good. And then in her striking um, she looks fast. I mean, she really does look quick. She's she's almost been giving me like more punchery vibes. Like I I keep looking at her and thinking um, Bobby Knuckles. Yeah. In these recent fights, like Grasso being smaller than her opponents, having to be more light footed, but then when they step in on her, just landing huge counter combinations. That like her punches look really impactful at one twenty five. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think as long as this fight's on the feet, um, she is going to be mostly wrecking Araujo because Araujo's striking is not good. I- I've I've had this um, impression of uh, Araujo for as long as I've I've been watching her as a super athletic fighter, and the more I see of her the less sure I am that she really is like that good of an athlete. I think what it really has been is that her style is what I expect from really good athletes, mm-hmm. which is um, like lacking most of the fundamentals, lacking little pieces of connective tissue. Um, yeah. Purely relying on speed. And, um, and that was really laid bare in her fight with, um, with Caitlin Shukagian. Yeah. yeah. Where she just kept, she didn't know how to get in on a, on an opponent who was trying to, a longer opponent fighting her from the outside without jumping, mm-hmm. literally jumping forward into punches. Yeah. She had no ability to like faint and keep her feet together and close the distance by degrees. She didn't, it was just like, you have to take the most athletic route from point A to point B possible. And against a striker's good Chukagian or Grosso, who's even better, you're just going to get hit a ton. And the problem is Araja also has terrible defense. That's true. So I think she's just going to be getting lit up on the feet. She's probably going to get some more exchanges. I mean, Grosso didn't exactly impress me in her fight with um, Joanne Calderwood. I think the reach very visibly threw her off. Um, and she was less comfortable striking. Maybe the fact that Araja is pretty fast she's at least on par with Grasso's speed will um will lead to some exchanges where they both get to land but Grasso's just way more comfortable in that I think she's durable she doesn't mind being hit that much and as I said she's been putting together really nice combination counters like in the pocket um Robert Whitaker style so I think the big question here is can Araujo get her wrestling and grappling game going and could that lead to um, a possible cardio advantage in the later rounds. Because as, yeah. as long as they're on the feet, I think she's going to be losing. Yeah, I 
I, I'm I'm not as set on that just because Grosso does like there there is a part of Grosso where she you know she is she she is fast and and slick with her hands she's more technical as you say with the than a radio show but there is a part of her that is trying to I think figure out how to be more dangerous yeah and sit down on stuff more exactly yeah and. I don't know that Grasso is ever going to actually be heavy handed. So when she sits down in the pocket and tries to be more dangerous, there are opportunities for her to get hit in return. Yeah. And when, when she does it, um, you know, like e- even early on in that, uh, in that fight she had with Macy Barber, like mm-hmm. she got cracked. Oh yeah. You know, she she isn't an unbreakable fighter in that way, and Araujo more willing to meet someone in the pocket than someone like say Chukagian. Yeah, yeah. And Araujo hits hard. She hits much more. She hits much more consistently as a hard puncher than Macy Barber. She's much better with using her athleticism in as a transition into punching than Barber is. So it may be that Grasso can stick her at range a bit, but I think we're going to end up with some hard exchanges to test that. I agree. Pretty yeah. regularly. And then, yeah, the takedowns, they are a question because Araujo, she can, you know, she can translate that speed into some really pretty good shots mm-hmm. that throw people off. And Grasso... She can be a dangerous scrambler. She can put people in dangerous positions, but people that try to take her down tend to succeed. Uh-huh. Over, you know, over the long haul. Her, if they try enough times, yep. If they try enough times, they're going to get her down. She's she's never been a very strong fighter. So somebody does tie up with her a lot. They can usually find a way to outmuscle her. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I'm, I, and I showed off. I mean, granted, in a, t- a terrible version of Andrea Lee. Yeah, but she did show off some really nice positional grappling. Mm-hmm. Just completely control and getting the dominant positions and just keeping it there for the entire round. She also uh, very nearly got KO'd in the first minute. Yeah. Of the fight. Both women can walk into some heavy shots. Yeah, but and... Grasso has a she's got a chin. She does. No, Grasso does have a chance. I don't think either of them is getting knocked out. It's I, just I think there's a not completely insignificant chance that Grasso badly hurts Araujo. Yeah, yeah. I think she she ha- as you said, she's been throwing a lot more heat. She's that's why I make the Bobby Knuckles comparison. Like just yeah. her willingness to be like, I'm gonna throw a super fast p- combination with my toes dug in. Mm-hmm. Um as you're trying to walk me down because you think you're bigger and you think you can bully me. I think it's it's been a good adaptation to to, yeah. to use what speed advantage she may have gained in moving up. And she, I mean, she badly hurt Macy Barber mm-hmm. with a left hook. Um, Araujo's just so hittable. The number of times she just ran straight into clean shots from Chukagian. Yes, they'll have exchanges, but I gotta think Araujo's gonna be the worst for wear if it's even if it's fifty fifty because Grasso's just a sharper puncher and knows how to take the steam off of the punches that she has to eat. And Araujo has no idea how to do that. Yeah, it's it very well could be. I'm just, 
I still think that there's a part of like Grosso that's kind of biting down to like, okay, you're gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna bite down so that you don't come after me anymore. That's a good point. To to scare you rather than yeah. follow up and finish you. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Araujo is much more like I'm gonna step in, I'm gonna hit you really hard. And then I'm going to try to hit you really hard a bunch more. That is the whole plan for yeah. her. Yeah, I've and, seen Grosso start leveraging those counters into, like, pressure. Yeah. Start walking people down with one-twos. Mm-hmm. It'd be great. But you're probably right. She's probably going to hurt Araujo, but likely that will not lead to a finish. Yeah. And so I think this is going to be a really scrappy back-and-forth fight. I mean, if we see yeah. Araujo get a couple takedowns, mm-hmm. That could make this a really close, difficult fight to call. I, I'm I'm going to go with you because if I think of this as a fight where I don't expect either woman to get finished, and Gra- uh, Grasso's a very scrambling grappler, she's very capable of making fights tough on the ground, then I have to depend on Grasso to land the cleaner shots over five rounds and get the mm-hmm. win. And probably less... Well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about gas tank because Vivia Raujo definitely used to gas hard early. Mm-hmm. Like she used to just kind of pour everything in and gas. And I think, you know, that hasn't been nearly so much a problem lately. No, no. she looked fine late against uh, Lee. And that was yeah uh, a gritty fight in which, again, she almost got KO'd. That'll sap your yeah. uh, gas tank if it's lacking. And Grasso did concern, yeah, with Grasso. Yeah, Grasso did tire against Barber. Um, so we'll see over five rounds. Well, I, I also think I'll say this: I think what we saw there was as much, if not more so, um, mental fatigue. Yeah, as it was physical. Just the fact that Barber did the thing she does in every third round of every fight she's losing, mm-hmm. where she just went completely ham and like yeah. did not give Grasso a single second to think or reset. And just based on Grasso's body language, every time there was a clinch break or something, she just wanted a moment to reset. Yeah. And Barbara wouldn't let her. And I think that that's as big a, of what we saw as um, as the actual gas tank. Can Araujo do that? I, I don't know. Maybe. I don't expect Araujo also to want to hang out in the clinch as much as no. Barber. You know, no, Bar- I mean, we saw Grasso's pretty good there. Yeah. And Barbara's all about wall and mall, though, in a way that Gras- that Araujo is not. Right. Araujo, she's shooting in. She's she's trying to catch you off guard to hit a double. You know, she she really wants to transition right to the ground. Yeah, and maybe um, Grasso's clinch game. I mean, she has, yeah. for most of her career, liked those double collar tie clinch positions. Um, that could be a good answer. I mean, that, mm-hmm. who knows if she can dissuade Raja from trying to close on her uh, if she punishes her, you know, in Jacek style, punishes her with clinch strikes uh, after every shot she attempts. Mm-hmm. Could be a good strategic idea. Yeah. It, I'll take I'll take Grasso. Uh, it's really most, you know, since that Herrig loss, at least, um, it's really been the wrestling that has been a problem for her. And even in that Herrig fight, it, you know, Herrig hit a couple takedowns and Grasso didn't. So it could be mm-hmm. that that is something to watch for in this fight. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's otherwise it's tended to be, you know, it's Tatiana Suarez and Carla Esparza 
Mm-hmm. Whereas we have seen with Araujo, or, or, uh, you know, like she can get she can get one tracked enough to to lose to Jessica I. Yeah, and I don't think that that's you know I think that's something that Grasso can she she can c- create enough challenge that Araujo can fall into those same kind of traps. So yeah. I will take I will take. Uh, uh, Alexi Grasso as well. It's basically yeah. both picking Grasso. Odds on the bout. Grasso is a serious favorite here. Opened at minus 170, dropped to minus 180. He's currently down at minus 223. Odds getting wider on that one all the time. Araj opened at plus 145 and is currently up at plus 180. Shouldn't get too wide. If no, not, I think that's already getting to the point of maybe being too wide. Yeah, like Araujo is the bigger puncher here, and she has showed better and better, you know, stick-to-itiveness over her last couple fights, in, late into fights. She, both women can lose when they get out-wrestled, yeah. and Grasso, or Araujo is, I think, the better shot wrestler between them. Yeah. And we don't really know how, you know, we don't know how that dynamic is going to play out. If, if Araujo can get a couple of takedowns and just steal a couple of rounds and land a big shot in another one, then it may not matter that Grasso has the better moment-to-moment striking exchanges over the course of the fight. Yep. So. Yep. And I, Grasso's had way too many inconsistent performances in her career. Yeah, to be certain that she'll take what, at least in one phase, does look like a pretty solid matchup for her. Yeah. Uh, yeah, again, she lost to Felice Herrick. Like, it was a good point in Herrick's career, but it was still a fight where she should have done way better than she did. She didn't yep. even know how to deal with the problems in that matchup. Yeah. If it, come, it, it, if it comes right down to it, uh, Vivia Raujo is the, she, she is the, the knockout puncher between them. Not, not Alexa Grasso, and this is the fight. I don't expect either to get finished, but you know, I'm waiting for it. Though I'm telling you, at some point soon, Grasso is going to knock somebody out in this division. Yeah, she's been fighting like she wants it, and I think she's capable. Yeah. All right, that brings us to a bantamweight bout: Cub Swanson, Jonathan Martinez, and um, I'm actually more fascinated by the dynamics of this fight than I thought I would be. Like, yeah. I don't really understand Swanson's drive to to drop to bantamweight. Frankly, Me neither. Yep. Um, he there's never been a point at in his featherweight career where I thought, oh, the problem here is that Swanson is getting out muscled. You know. No, I mean, granted, he's faced some giants. He's he's no longer. He used to be like bang average size for that division, and now he's yeah. small. Yeah, and now he's small. And in fact, he's the same size as Jonathan Martinez. Right. Height and reach, they he's are... also 38. It's always questionable, right? Yeah. Like fighter. Like, he, I, I think he had his... Wikipedia says featherweight debut in his, like, seventh fight. I'm pretty sure he was a lightweight before that. Yeah, a I'm sure. No, yeah, nobody was a bantamweight except for Miguel Torres back in... Yeah. So, so in- all, all I can hope is that he's doing this because he's tried the cut and found it easy. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, why not? Yeah, I, I you know what? That's fine. If nothing else, I can see too. Late career, you're looking for a way to like 
inject a little life of like, oh, you know what? If I win a couple fights in a brand new division, sure, then maybe I can be ranked in this new division when at featherweight it was pretty. The doors were starting to just be closed. Yeah, well, you know. But I mean, the thing I still incredible. Cub Swanson has been a a gatekeeper to some elite tier of his division forever. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> he, he has been, his, his resume is unbelievable. It really is. Like, it he, seemed like he was in, it seemed like he was in prime gatekeeper status in 2015. Right. And he's kept being that dude. Yeah. All Maybe he's a, he's a gatekeeper to a larger chunk of the, of the rankings now than he yeah. was before, but he's still like, yeah, Clearly, a certain tier of fighter just has a really hard time with Cub Swanson. Yeah, and part of the thing is he's, he hasn't lost his durability. There have no. been, you know, there have been more fights where he gets hurt than he used to. Yeah, but we, you know, we're still looking at one TKO loss in thirteen years since getting absolutely smashed by Jose Aldo. Yeah. And he's always been a great athlete, and he yeah. still seems to have most of his speed and agility. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he's also always been a really good technician. He's, I mean, this is this is the archetype for a fighter who's going to have a long tail on their career. Yeah. Is a great athlete who also bothered to develop a really functional game. Now, the, interesting, the interesting thing here with the fight against Jonathan Martinez is that there is still very clearly one thing that Cub Swanson has always struggled with and will continue to struggle with forever. Yes. I mean, at this point it's he's 38. It's not going away magically. Right. And that's a range striking game. Yeah. You give Cub Swanson a bunch of kicks to walk through. You give him a jab to walk into and he does not have the structure to navigate it. Not because he can't throw some create, creative stuff from range. He certainly can. Mm -hmm. But the bulk of Cub Swanson's punching game, it revolves around him stepping in behind something and getting to a squ somewhat squared up position in the pocket mm -hmm. to be able to then, you know dip and move and slip and counter and land big creative shots once he's inside. Mm -hmm. He's never been a, a fighter to really just be like, you know, he, he's not a matador unless you're Darren Elkins. Yes. But you look at, you know, like his fights he had with Giga Chikadze or, you know, Max Holloway who could really offer him like here is power at range for you to have to deal with. And he, you know, he, he ended up being the bull very much. He ended up being the guy trying to chase down and step in and wing punches at an opponent who would just step aside, step around him and counter him mercilessly. The idea of playing Matador to Darren Elkins, by the way, yeah. Makes you think of like a bullfighter going into the ring and then the gate opens and it's like a goat. <laughs> like, oh, I got this. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, the, the thing is, is, is a, a Cub has always been um, and still is quite dangerous. Like, yeah, 
He, he's a really dynamic striker, and he will come up with ways to punish those things, like going way back to his fight with Dennis Seaver. Mm-hmm. Here's granted a shorter guy, but a range striker all the same, who was trying to pepper him with kicks and... Um, yeah, he landed a lot of them, but Cub also like came in swinging with vicious counters. That's like, do you really want to have one foot off the ground all the time yeah. against yeah. me? And um, yeah, I think this, this one like lies right there somewhere in the middle. Jonathan Martinez is a good fighter. His game makes sense, but he's mm-hmm. not a great athlete. And there are some gaping holes. Yeah, he, he is a fighter who he has a range style that he then he then marries to driving all the way inside yeah. and being a clinch fighter or trying to land a couple shots in the pocket right. before you can counter him. Because when he gets stung inside, he gets hurt a lot. Yes. He, he does not have a good sense of his body positioning or his defensive positioning once he steps into the pocket. Yeah. His his defense is really just a, a compromise. It's a it's a very static yeah. high guard. Um and I like the way he uses it a lot of times. Like he mm-hmm. he's a guy who will see you throwing punches and just throw the guard up and use that to close on you. Yeah. Um but, but it's, it's all he has. Yeah. It's like it's notable, you know, his fight with Davy Grant. He's out there and he's yeah. you know, he's being slick from outside, he's throwing kicks, he's looking elusive. But Davy Grant got a chance to wade in and just smack him with something and yeah. absolutely blew him away. And that's and, and the other part of that that I think is uh, that compounded the problem he had with Grant's style of combination punching, which is like a an even uglier but notably less quick version of Cub Swanson's kind of blitzing combos. Mm-hmm. Is that Martinez is really bad backing up? Yeah. He doesn't. He, he completely falls apart on the back foot, uh, which is why, yeah, he needs his range game to lead into entries. Yeah, yeah, because uh, his, his stance falls apart. That rudimentary defense just doesn't cut it. When you have a guy who's coming after you, winging shots at your body and your legs and your head and hooking and going up the middle, um, he just does not like being pressured. So, do we trust a thirty-eight-year-old Cub Swanson taking a flyer at bantamweight? to break Jonathan Martinez. That's kind of the question that's it's hard to answer cuz trust is the word I would use, but I am going to pick Cub. <sighs> I kind of have to. Like, yeah. If if it, if this were Jonathan Martinez moving up to featherweight, I would absolutely pick Cub. Yeah, I would because the, really the knowing how he handles the weight cut is like my biggest concern here. Yes, there's the fact that Martinez is an outside kicker, but I really think the Cub responds to problems like that with insane aggression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's going to work. So if I would pick it to happen at 145 and I know so little about how Cub handles a weight cut, I to the point that I just have to not think about it, then I have to still pick the, the guy I would pick at featherweight. Yeah, you know what? I'll go with Jonathan Martinez just to be on the opposite side of you on this one. Just sure, I just don't trust the bantamweight move for Cub. There's a layer that Martinez can offer that could really, you know, screw with Cub's game, and it'll be on Cub to change the dynamic. He can. I've yeah. seen it. We've seen it happen. But 
I will I will take a flyer on Martinez here. So that's that's gonna be my I, I'm I'm going I, I I like the fight a lot just because you know I think there's a great chance for Cub to show up and show something really cool. But mm-hmm. I'm gonna trust the guy who's been at Bantamweight and who's a decade younger right now. Yeah. I just don't know, man. I just think like yeah. Cub, like like Cowboy Cerrone, like he he's an old guy who really shows up when like that's one of the major reasons you're picking against him. It's true. It's true. Because usually and, when that's like a major factor in the pick, it's not like a, oh he's fighting Giga. You're not even talking about how no. the fact that Cub is old. It's like there's a million reasons to pick against him here. Yeah. Here it's like okay, so let me ask you: if Cub was five years younger, would you pick him here? Yeah. And I would. Yeah. And I think we were saying that five years ago, but do enjoy a far more dangerous mm-hmm. uh, fighter than Jonathan Martinez. And yeah, Cub responded to that. Like he was literally insulted by the idea. It's that true. Beat him because he was younger. It's true. I think we're going to get that energy from Swanson. I think, man, I hope so. I love right. watching that version of Cub. Right. Right. The veteran te- trying to yeah. teach a lesson. That's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Kind of fight. <laughs> it's fun so, as hell. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Swanson is the underdog. Too much of one. Opened at plus 175, dropped to plus 150, currently plus 174. Jonathan Martinez opened at minus 205, jumped to minus 175, and is currently down at minus 212. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm picking Martinez for the age and for the weight change and all that, but it is notable that, like, Jonathan Martinez's best ever win is a thoroughly washed well before his time, Thomas Almeida. Yeah. And that was by decision. So I I say coin flip odds would be perfect. I think so too. All right. That brings us to a flyweight bout. Brandon Royval, Askar Askarov. And uh, yeah, this is a good fight too. It's a great fight. It's just a shame that. and I say this as a person who who was wholly in favor of them continuing the Moreno Figueredo series because mm-hmm. I've loved every one of those fights, and I like long rivalries. I, they're one of the things that make the, this sport worth watching. Yeah, but give despite liking that, it is a shame that like these two very good fighters, their fight now feels kind of inconsequential when by rights this should be like next guy in line for a title shot. Well, unfortunately, I was going to say that there's already one other guy next in line for a shot and he's not getting it because they're continuing the series. Yeah, that's the trade off of of getting this cool sort of uh, quadrilogy, this quartet of fights between uh, the two best guys in the division is that fights like this lose their relevance. Great matchup. It's awesome. Um, Awesome. Yeah, and I'm and I'm my my real um, question here is I'm I'm very curious to see what version of Brandon Royval we get. Yeah, you get the feeling that he's trying to transition to being somebody else and is yeah struggling against it because everything about the way he fights is ingrained in his into his is part of his personality. Yeah, yeah, he's he's completely out of his comfort zone if he's not just being chaotic. Yeah, and um. We saw more chaos against Matt Schnell. Granted, I think it was largely Schnell who initiated yeah. it. Yeah, Schnell came right out of the gate and just said, okay, we're going to have a fight. I am going to throw down on you, and you have to respond. 
And it, I think it took a moment for Royville to just kind of like be like, I don't want to do that. I don't. Okay, fine. Whatever. I know. You how want to do this. Like, yeah. 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 I'll do it. You got to love that about Schnell, by the way. Here's like yeah. a notably chinny fighter who's like, knock me out. Do yeah. It. I dare you. <laughs> he rocks. I mean, I, I, you know, it's great credit to Schnell because it's honestly, yeah. it's been three years since he was knocked out last. The, the fearlessness, they, they knocked all the fear out of him. Yeah. He's been less chinny since he started being more wildly aggressive. He's only had one knockout loss since his back-to-back ones to Font and Sandoval when he was pretty much, everybody was like, okay, you're the chinniest flyweight in the division now. Yeah. And, like, you kind of have to keep that fearlessness because, like, technically, Schnell's improved a lot. And by improving, technically, you're going to get knocked out less. Yeah. If you are a more, if you are a fearless and more technical and more responsive fighter with better vision because you're more technical, you're going to see more stuff coming. And yeah. Schnell clearly does now, and he gets knocked out less for it. And he's also a psycho, though. He's also a psycho. He's got that Benil Darius. You remember when Darius yeah. knocked out their car clothes? Yeah. And afterwards, he was like describing like a red mist mm-hmm. over his vision. He's like, sometimes it scares me, but I just, in this soft little voice, but sometimes yeah. I just have to kill and drink the blood of my enemies. I yeah. know. He's a berserk. Okay? He's a berserk. Yeah. That's Matt Schnell. Would, would have had absolutely had a home on a Viking warship, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I think we can lay some of the blame for that last fight of Roy Bulls being chaotic, most of the blame at, at Match Nell's feet. Yep. The fight before that was, uh, the way I see it, pretty clearly a response to his um, previous two losses. Mm-hmm. That was the fight with Rogerio Bontarine, and that was, uh, to borrow Phil McKenzie's terminology, a real leaf blower kickboxing performance. Yeah. Uh, that was clearly Royville trying to be capital T technical. He was mm-hmm. putting a lot of volume out there, but not over committing or really committing at all. Yeah. Uh, just a lot of empty volume waiting for Bontarine to make a mistake rather than just throwing himself into the fire as he's always done. And it's questionable whether it actually worked. Yeah. I mean, it was a really, really close fight. Yeah. Which I thought Bontarine won by virtue mm-hmm. of just landing like only three punches, which all of which were harder than every strike that Royval landed combined. Yeah. Um, and you got to think if that was a reaction to like Moreno and Pantoja accepting the chaos and then finding a way to get to a dominant position and then just crush Royval. Yeah. Then he's going to come with the same approach to Askarov. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't, I don't know that the old approach would have worked particularly well, but I got to think that approach won't. Yeah, because you can't you, really get let Askarov get at you. Exactly, he loves to pressure. He's a he's a, an innately aggressive fighter. Yeah, and if you're trying to keep him at distance and everything, he he's going to take that invitation and walk you down. And this is not a guy um, like Bontarine, for example who needs you to make like a critical error to, to take you down. Yeah. He, he will shoot. He's a good layered takedown artist. He's, he's also a dragger. Yeah. Like if, even if Askarov can't find a way to take you down, he is absolutely a hundred percent fine. Just getting a waist cinch and yeah. sitting down. Yeah. 
He's got myriad ways to get to the fight to get the yeah. fight to the ground. And like Pantoja, better than Pantoja even, once he gets to a he a, a dominant position, like you're screwed for for at least the rest of the round if you don't get submitted. Yeah. Um so Kai I have to... France did escape. Yeah, like, yeah. It it should be noted. Yeah. Kara France did escape, but a big thing there that I have to think is that Cara France has learned for many years now that, and many mistakes, that hanging out on the ground for a while is pure poison to him. Yeah. He's lost a lot of fights in his career on the move up, going and grappling with somebody that he did not need to grapple with. Right. And that has, it has hooked into his brain. He got in a bad spot with, with Askarov, and he's just like, no, I'm going to fight to get out. The same thing happened with Bontarine. His mm-hmm. Cara Francis fight with Bontarine. It's just like, nope. I am getting up. I am finding a way. And Royville is not that dude. No. Yeah, whether or not he's um, managed to change his style, the chaos is coming to him. Yeah. Just it, like it, it did against Matt Schnell, and we saw how he reacted to that. He went for yeah. a guillotine. Yeah. He he twit he he was like you want to twist me up I will twist you up yeah. with match now so he's you know it's going to be forced on him but ultimately he's I have to assume he's going to accept yeah. a scrambly grappling battle and in a way this is like the ultimate test of a thing I've been harping on for years because this is like the most flyweight meta fight mm-hmm. you can have because Brandon Royval is whether he, he he may have forgotten it, but he will be reminded in this fight that he is the flyweight's flyweight. Mm-hmm. Chaos, nonstop scrambling, constant activity to the point where he wears himself out doing it. Yep. He's too flyweight for this division. <laughs> and Askarov is the best example in the division right now of the the counter to that metagame. Yep. The lockdown positional grappler who's like, oh, your thing is... You're comfortable as long as the scramble keeps going. What if it stops dead? Yeah. For four minutes. And I'm just sapping your energy that whole time and hunting for the submission and doing damage. Yep. And I got to think that uh, that style works in this division for a reason. I think it's going to work here. Yeah. It especially doesn't help uh, for Royval that... Whether he's you know take, whether he's trying to be capital T technical and taking less off, more steam off his strikes and whatever, yeah. he's still an insanely hittable fighter when he's standing. He he pretty much any offense he delivers comes with a big chance of him getting clubbed because he carries his chin so high and he just pulls it straight back before his feet. So every time he sees a strike coming, he just tries to pull his head straight back. That is his first defensive reaction to anything. And Askarov is not a, you know, he's not a shocking, he's not, he's not a deft striker. But he's great with just a big overhand chased into a takedown. And he can hit really hard. Yeah. If he's got that kind of change-up option to go with, and I think Royval will really let him have that. Mm-hmm. Royval will absolutely get caught guessing: Is this guy diving in for a takedown? Is he diving in with an uh, with an overhand? Yeah, yeah. What if you can find all the chances that Kaikar France found, but you're constantly looking to leverage those into a takedown? Yeah. Instead of just having to 
accept that the exchange is going to keep going forever. Mm-hmm. It's it, yeah, I yeah, I think Askarov. I, this fight will be fun. Uh, it will. It's a good matchup, but I'm fairly confident Askarov is going to win. Yeah, it feels you know, and it's unfortunate because like I remember watching Royval like it, on the on the regionals and on the come up and all this, and I was just like. This guy's a thrill, but there is there is a dead end to this style. And then he it felt like he was just proving proving us wrong, proving us wrong, proving us wrong. It's just pulling out these wild and crazy wins where he'd get hurt multiple times, just get into an absolute absolutely into the fray. And then, you know, he's he's now had some setbacks on that. And Every fight of his is hard. Every fight of his is a fight for his life out there, even yeah. the ones he wins. And and his two fights since those two losses have done nothing to yeah, to, nothing to dissuade me from the idea that those two losses are still the way he's going to lose this fight. Mm-hmm. Royval opened at plus two ten, dropped to plus one eighty. Is currently plus one ninety nine. Askarov opened at minus two fifty, got up as high as minus one eighty five, but as Back down now at minus 246, and yeah, I'm fine with it, you know? Yeah, that's reasonable. Askarov is, like I say, he's not the most deft striker, but he's never been knocked out. He's tough as hell to hurt and take off his game, and he's never been out, he's never been out grappled. Yeah, even you know? Extremely good grapplers. Even by extremely good gra- good grapplers, so... You take that kind of combination, it just feels like a really bad matchup for Royville. Yep. All right. That brings us to a to a middleweight bout: Dushko Todorovic versus Jordan Wright. Is this a middleweight fight or what? <laughs> this is the most middleweight middleweight fight. I mean, they all are. Every all middleweight are. fight. It's... We got Nick Maximov versus Jacob Malkoon further down the fight, yeah. further down the card. Like, they're all this way. It's just such a vibe in this division. It it really like any is. Any matchup, and for your first thought is, haven't I seen this before? Mm-hmm. And your second thought is, oh, no, this is just the new most middleweight fight of all time. Yeah. So on the one hand, we've got Dushko Todorovic, who fights like Brandon Royville, but with none of the speed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like worse. And what? What if you just cut speed out of Brandon Royville's game, mm-hmm. and you had a guy who just wades in with his head up, gets hit a lot, and then tries to initiate wild grappling scrambles that sometimes he can still win. Yeah. But if he doesn't, man, is he going to get clubbed? It's Royville, but instead of the speed, it's fentanyl. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sort of groggy. And on the other side, you've got Jordan Wright, who has all the speed and power and just seems like he hates to fight. He just, yeah, he seems like somebody who, you know, it's like Uriah Hall, but without the the reaction to getting bullied isn't to fight back harder. It's to just crumble. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. It's to climb into the locker himself. Yeah. Yeah. So so who so who's it going to be? Is it going to be the the one guy who's unbelievably hittable, uh, but who does not break, or the other guy who's unbelievably hittable, but does break, but also hits really hard himself? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> because it's, it's flip a coin. 
it is it is flip a coin like this fight will be a fantastic mess and somebody will get knocked out yeah um i gotta imagine if someone doesn't get knocked out <laughs> the third round of this fight is going to be so stupid if someone doesn't get KO'd. It really will. It really will. Because Wright will panic himself into into getting tired. Like, that is not a man who could... The kind of fight that Dushko Todorovich wants to press on him yeah. will not allow Jordan Wright to maintain his confidence. Yeah. So that's the thing. It's a, it's a uh, long-term strategic edge for Todorovich. Mm-hmm. And when I say long term, I mean like more if the fight goes more than four four minutes. Yeah. Um, then yeah, it's his pressure and aggression are going to contribute to breaking right and allowing him to hurt Jordan Wright. Or Although possibly- even if Jordan Wright it does get exhausted, Todorovic will still get re- hit really hard. Yeah. Every minute that he's standing. Yeah. Even like it might be like a cornerman or somebody like even if an audience member has to, if Jordan Wright is like too tired to throw punches, somebody else will hit Dushko Todorovich really hard if he's still standing. Yeah, Mark Mark Zuckerberg is going to bean him with a beer bottle. Yeah, he just the the way that that guy moves, it is yeah. just absolutely getting hit really hard is built into his DNA. Yeah, talk born for this. It is. It is. It is the born for this. <laughs> yeah, talk about a guy whose only defensive move is to just lean straight back. Yeah, it, it is literally the only thing Todorovic knows how to do. And yeah, just throw two punches. You're going to hit him yeah. super clean. Yeah. Um, and that makes this tough because like Jordan <laughs> Wright does hit really hard. You know, dude is like a lifelong Anthony Hardonk disciple, and Hardonk <laughs> may not have baked any defense or any any love of fighting into right but he got the technical notes mm-hmm. <sighs> all right i know how i'm gonna make my pick i've used this phrase emptily too many times Zane. yeah heads or tails <laughs> uh tails all right i'm picking jordan Wright. all right i'm picking dushko todorovich great <laughs> <laughs> Enough just talking about coin flips. It's time to finally do one. Yeah. Like I've, I've laid out the dynamic. It, it could very easily go either way. I don't have a strong I don't trust either of these fighters at all. So No. And like Jordan Wright, you know, he's trying to switch things up. He's trying to take the panic out of his game. Like he came to Mark Andre Barrio with, with with some wrestling and like, okay, no, I'm not gonna just get hit and freeze. I'm going to get hit and do something else. And Barrio subbed him out. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, he is mind-bogglingly tense in yeah. the cage. But in freaking out, he is going to nail Todorovic. Absolutely. <laughs> he is going to deck him. So, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, odds on the bout... Todorovic is an unconscionably unconscionably high favorite here. Wow. Opened at minus 155, dropped to minus 185. It's currently down at minus 210. I know that 200, 210 range isn't actually that high. Too wide. But this is way too wide. Like, this is a dude who just got absolutely plastered trying to out-wrestle Chidi, successfully out-wrestling Chidi and Jaquani. 
Yeah. Not even trying. He successfully got Chidi and Jaquani down. And then the moment the fight returned to its feet, he got hit super hard. Yeah. Like, this is a dude who was getting wrecked by Maki Patolo right up until he, like, took Maki Patolo down. Yeah. I would honestly give a slight edge in the odds to Todorovic. Yeah. Personally, I lean towards... The long arc of the fight leans towards him. He likes to fight. He loves to fight. It is clear he loves to fight. He is is thriving off of his passion for this game because he has been terribly educated in it. Yeah. And yeah, the simple fact that he doesn't mind being hit and that he is going to respond with aggression. Yeah. I would usually pick the guy with that kind of game and not just assume that an early knockout is going to happen. But I also just I just know he's going to get hit. He's really hard. Right opened at plus 135, jumped up to plus 160, is currently at plus 171. Okay. And honestly, like wrestling is not the weak part of Jordan Wright's game. Yeah. He's he's really not a poorly schooled schooled fighter. It's just Doesn't the like mentality it. is clearly not there. Yeah. So, yeah. Flip a coin. We're on opposite sides of it. As it should be. All right, that brings us to a light heavyweight bout. Misha Serkinov, Alonzo Menafield. And why, <laughs> boy, isn't this a middleweight bout at light heavyweight? It sure is. Yeah. You're picked. You're uh, called. Oh, God, is it? Yeah. Um. Uh, I mean, another one. Yeah. Another one. I, at this point, I have to pick Alonzo Menafield. You do. You have to. How could I possibly ever trust Misha Serkinov again? He, yeah. He's just, he's so blatantly uncomfortable at every moment of his fights now. It, it's such a shame. I say this every yeah. time we talk about him, but man, he looked good when he first got to the UFC. Yeah. He had all the confidence. He was big. He was strong. He was powerful. He, he had- dynamic wrestler and grappler two comprehensive wins over guys who are currently still ranked at light heavyweight mm-hmm. Krylov and, and Kudalaba and oh, Kudalaba is not ranked but oh is he not he was yeah. pretty recently I think in the top 15 still maybe I know he actually hasn't been for a while okay he loses too much but two guys who are currently way more relevant than Serkinov himself currently is yeah well or but you can Jimmy he beat Jimmy Crute too. Jimmy Crute's still still ranked. Wild yeah. as that is. Granted, that was not in the Sturkinov looking like he knew exactly what he was doing phase it's of his true. career. It's he true. almost lost that fight. Yeah. Um but yeah, like it's such a fall, man. He was such yeah. a well rounded, well schooled fighter. And yeah, he just like clearly hates it. He doesn't know what to do. He's tense. Um he, you know, like this is this is the difference of like Jordan Wright was always tense yeah. and Serkinov has been broken. Serkinov has been broken. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it looks like when a guy can remember when he was good. Yeah. Uh, you see Serkinov had... out there against Wellington Terman for a round. He is just crushing this kid. But yeah. the doubts are always like, you know, a round goes by. Yeah. And the doubts don't leave. Terman hasn't left. And yeah. Serkinov is just getting exhausted. He doesn't, he, he doesn't want, he can't, he doesn't feel like he can afford to stand 
with Wellington and Terman. And his Terman. everything else is desperation pushing him. I have to get this kid. I have to get this kid down and and get him out of here, or yeah. something's going to happen to me. This is a guy legitimately dealing. I'm not joking here with PTSD. Yeah, yeah. clearly there's yeah. A tra- there's a trauma response. He goes into his fight and he's been KO'd with one shot, and now he's in there like, oh god, what if that happens again? Yeah, it changes everything about the way he fights. It makes him get tired, and he's just visibly tense, um, and therefore slow to react to things too. Mm-hmm. Um, that Yatko fight, man, like, yeah, so single minded, and yet he still he was so single minded he couldn't even make the takedowns. The only thing he wanted to do, he couldn't even like hide them or do anything to set them up. Yeah, it made him look incredibly slow and cumbersome. Because he was just like panicking from moment one. Yep. So I don't know how Menafield's going to do it, but I know he's not going to be easily taken down from the outset. Um, and I'm going to pick him because he's still yeah. going to be there in the second round. Yeah, Menafield can be convinced that he doesn't want to have a fight. Yeah. But you have to, you have to do, you have to convince him by hurting him. Right. And I don't trust Misha Serkinov to have the dedication to his striking yeah, to really hurt Menafield right now. The, the days of Misha Serkinov putting a scare into his opponent are gone. Yeah, because you see Menafield still out there against somebody like uh, Askar Mozarov, who he felt he had something to prove against. And Menafield just, you know, absolutely trucked him. Had yeah. never, never had a moment's doubt that he could go out there and just pound this dude out of the, out of the UFC. And Serkinov does not have that right nope. now. So I don't think he's ever getting it back. Yeah. Manafield may not be, you know, he he may never be a better striker than Serkinov was at his best. He may never be able to chain to chain two or three strikes together because he gets off balance so much when he you know, after each strike he throws. He may always be susceptible to getting hurt and scared off of his game. I mean, this is a dude who lost to William Knight. Mm-hmm. Like the ultimate one round power threat mm-hmm. lost the decision to William Knight because he was just like, <laughs> oh, man, you hit me too hard. I don't want to do this. But I don't I don't think Misha Serkinov can take that fight to him. So, right. Got to take Menafield here. Yep. How the mighty have fallen. Yep. Menafield opened at minus 160, dropped to minus 220, is currently up at minus 217. Serkinov opened at plus 140, jumped up to plus 185, is currently at plus 175. And going back to light heavyweight just feels worse too, because if if Serkinov left light heavyweight because he didn't feel like he was big enough and strong enough to be there and win anymore. Mm-hmm. Going back there is not going to help his confidence at all. Yeah, I mean, he certainly didn't look good at middleweight. No, he didn't. He the it was a bad move all around. But I'm just saying. Yeah. If you leave, you know, if you're leaving a division because you don't think you can do it anymore. Yeah. And now you're coming back with your tail between your legs because you yeah. realize that your chances elsewhere are somehow even worse. Yeah. Like, he's he's just he's just kind of being a bad place. I really feel yeah. for the guy. Like I do too. He's just in a complete no man's land in his career. Yep. All right. On that note, <laughs> yeah. we're going to wrap up the MMA Vivisect. No, isn't find... there one more? Uh, main card? Is there? 
I think uh, Martinez versus Davis is main card, unless Tapology is wrong. I thought I checked it. Um, I'll check the ESPN Fight Center because uh, no, it's it's not. It's okay. Uh, that's it. So sorry, <laughs> my bad. No problem on that. No, you can find me on Twitter at Thesein Simon. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over at BloodyOva.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcasts on Bloody Over Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those good places. And we will be back in one week's time for UFC 280, Oliveira versus Makachev. So tune in then and we'll see you. Adios. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on BloodyElbow.com.